Today we continue our series, Help, I'm a Church Member. Uh, the goal, the aim of this series is to help the members of Fairview be better church members. And one of the ways that we can accomplish that goal is by considering our church covenant. And please don't consider the church covenant simply as a document. I think as it has been shown, the church document is really rooted and grounded in the word of God. And so we come to this covenant that each member of Fairview entered into uh, when they said that they wanted to be a member and receive the right hand of fellowship. At the heart of the covenant, it's 17 things that you agree to, 17 items. And I don't want to go just simply one by one. I have grouped those items together and put them under the umbrella of five different commitments of a church member. A church member commits to these five different things. And today what we want to do is look at the fourth commitment of a church member. So if you have your outline, you can look at that. Uh, but we want to look at the fourth commitment. And the fourth commitment of a church member is to be a light in the world. To be a light in the world. Jesus Christ, in one of his I am statements, said that he is the light of the world. You and I are to be a light in the world. Paul put it well when writing to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 15. He told them that they are to live lives that are above reproach. For what purpose, for what goal? That they may appear as lights in the world. And Paul goes on to describe the world as a crooked and perverse generation. From God's perspective, when he looks at the world as a whole, it is a crooked generation, it is a perverse generation, and we are to shine as lights in the midst of that world. The church member takes seriously the responsibility to be a light in the world. Our problem is not that the world is dark. Our problem is that we are not light. The world is dark. That breaks our hearts in many ways. But that's the reality of the matter. What should break our hearts even more is that we are not light. We need to understand that we do have a relationship to this world in which we live. Don't be deluded into thinking that the church, as Dr. Tony Evans says, is to be a holy huddle. That's not us. We are not to be a holy huddle. We're not to be a monastery. We're not to be a Christian commune. No, we are to have a relationship in the world, and we are to be a light in the dark world. And so the question that should come to everybody's mind is, how can I be a light in 
this world. First of all, a church member can be a light in the world by walking circumspectly. What? Walking circumspectly. I know we don't use that term, but I'm using it because it's in the covenant. So you ought to be familiar with it. You ought to know what that means. The idea is to walk cautiously, to walk carefully, to walk paying attention to the dangerous world in which you and I live. Alert, cautious, careful. Paul, the apostle, talks about this walk in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And I want you to turn there, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Because he lets us know what it means to walk circumspectly. He lets us know what it means to walk carefully. He gives a very graphic picture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. Paul says, therefore, be careful. And that's the idea of that word circumspectly. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Those who make the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul commands these Christians to walk carefully, to walk cautiously. And he ingrains in them the fact that if they're going to do that, it means that they walk like they got some sense. Walk like they got some wisdom from heaven and not from hell. And that's why he says in verse uh, 17 that we are to walk knowing what the will of God is. And not walking as those who are fools. That's not me calling you a fool. That's Paul saying that we need to make sure in our walk that we're not walking as foolish people, as people who have no sense, no understanding of the word of God, and no understanding of the wisdom that God gives to his people. Paul says, we need to be walking carefully and cautiously. We need to be walking in this world as if it's filled with bombs that are ready to explode. There are booby traps all throughout this world. And we can't just go tiptoeing through the tulips as if it doesn't matter how we walk and where we walk. Paul is emphasizing, and our covenant is emphasizing, that we need to walk carefully and cautiously and alert to the danger that surrounds us. A misstep, a wrong step, a step where we're not giving any attention to something, that can be devastating to our walk 
with God. And if we're going to have the kind of impact that God wants us to have in the world, then we have to make sure we're not living a careless life. A careless life. And so the question I would ask you, are you careless when it comes to your cell phone? Are you careless when you come to your iPad? Are you careless when it comes to your computer? Are you aware of the minefields? Are you aware of the bombs that can impact you? Are you careless when it comes to social media? Do you just indiscriminately get on Facebook thinking that it's harmless? Do you indiscriminately post on Instagram? Not, not worry about what you see, not worry about what you read? Do you indiscriminately, without any caution, Follow TikTok. We are living in dangerous times, and it demands that we live our lives carefully and not carelessly. We need to make sure that we are walking circumspectly. And if we don't walk in that manner, the world will laugh at us as Christians and we will not have an impact, and we will not be a light in the world. A church member can be a light in the world by living righteously. By living righteously. That is, we are to be just in our dealings with others. We are to be faithful in our engagement with others. We are to make sure that we are exemplary in our deportment. That's what the church covenant says. And it says that not because it's trying to be legalistic, but it's trying to help us to be a church member, a good church member. It was never God's design that we have no association with the world. Some of the Corinthians got it wrong and they thought, Paul was saying, don't associate with these people, those people, and these people. Paul says, if that's the case, you would have to lead the world. We have an association with, with the members of this dark world. We interact with them. We, we see them in the different places that we go. Some of us work side by side with them. Some of us live in the same home with them. And so we need to understand that God expects us to interact with the people around us, even those who are not saved. But the question is, in your interactions, in your dealings with others, is it marked by being just and being righteous? Do those around you look at you and say, that person's fair, that person's just, that person's righteous when we interact with each other? Or are you one of those Christians who likes to cut the corners? 
you know, there are people like that who like to do that. Many times they're in the business of repairing your homes and repairing your cars and repairing your churches, etc. They like to cut the corner. There was a pastor who was at his barber's and he was kind of upset that the barber charged so much for the haircut. And so the pastor finally asked his barber, no, why are you charging me so much money? My other barber didn't do that. And the barber just kind of stopped and paused and looked at him. He told him, look, when you get a haircut, whether it's a good haircut or a bad haircut, you can't tell once your hair has been cut the first day. But wait a few more days and you'll find out whether it's a good or bad haircut. We have some work done to this building. Two different people. And after the first day, I would say it looked good when both of the individuals did it. The time revealed that the person who did it the first time cut some corners. And we need to make sure that as Christians, we're not cutting corners. Nobody should be saying about Christians, I'd rather have a pagan plumber than a Christian plumber. I say that. I say that many times. Don't give me the Christian yellow pages. I ain't going to look through them. I've had too many dealings with Christians who have cut the corner. And that should not be the case, my friends. We should be just in our dealings. We should be upright. If anybody's going to give you the truth and treat things properly, it ought to be the Christian. And so if you're a Christian mechanic here, everybody ought to trust you and say, oh, I'm glad to have that Christian mechanic. If you're a Christian plumber or an electrician, be just. In your, if you're an accountant, if you're a teacher, don't cut corners. That's what you're agreeing to when you become a member at Fairview, that you will be just in your dealing. And, and also, faithful in your engagements. That is, you're paid to work eight hours. Work eight hours. Now, if the boss is saying, I'm paying you to complete the job, whether it's two hours, four hours, eight hours, that's fine. But if the boss expects you to work from nine to five, work from nine to five. If the boss wants you to come in at nine, don't come tripping in at 9.45. Be faithful in your engagements. And then righteous living shows itself in the fact that our deportment, there's another word that we don't use, our, our behavior, our conduct is exemplary. That is, people can look at the Christian and find how to relate to one another. Now, a good passage to kind of hang our hat on with regards to this idea of living righteously is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. So turn with me to that passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. I preached through this before. We 
refer to this passage several times, like during the communion time, but I want us to see it one more time from the perspective of living righteously. And the wonderful thing that Paul tells us about in these verses is that God's grace, God's amazing grace has appeared. It's burst upon the scene. It's visible. And not only that, but God's amazing grace teaches and instructs. And so Paul says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. God's marvelous grace not only brings about salvation, but God's marvelous grace teaches us how to live. It teaches us to say no to certain things and to say yes to other things. And the things that we are to say yes to are living sensibly, righteously, and godly. And that's really what the covenant is getting at, that you are living a sound-minded life, that your mind is sound as you live, that, that, that you're living a life that is righteous, right before God and right before others. And that you're living a godly life. And so this is how I can be a light in the world. It's by how I live righteously and godly among the world. A church member can be a light by avoiding devastating relational sins. Avoiding devastating relational sins. I I do hope you're aware of the fact that there are relational sins that are devastating, that destroy, that bring severe problems in our relationships. And, And if you're not familiar, I just want to point out a verse, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Navigate your Bibles to Galatians 5, 15, because it talks about some sins in general. And and it points out to us that there is such a thing as devastating relational sins. In Galatians 5, particularly in that chapter, Paul is calling these Christians to live a life of freedom. And a life of freedom doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, But if you bite and devour one another. Did you hear that? He uses the language of cannibalism. He says, if you Christians that I'm writing to, if you bite and devour one another, no, take care lest you be consumed by one another. He's picturing Christians as ferocious dogs in a fight with each other. He's picturing Christians as 
eating flesh, each, eating each other's flesh. And, and Paul is saying that it's possible in the church, among the people of God, that they can bite and devour one another to such an extent that the people of God be consumed, meaning put out of extension. You want to destroy Fairview? If you don't like this church, if you want to destroy Fairview, the best thing that you can do is get the Christians in Fairview to be at odds with each other, to get them where they're biting one another and devouring one another. And Paul says, if you're not careful about that, then what's going to happen is there will be no fair view. We will eat each other up so that there is no fair view at all. Now, our church covenant talks about some ways we can bite and devour one another. Three ways, tattling, backbiting, and unrighteous anger. Now, there's other ways, but the church covenant, for some reason, wants us to be on the alert about these three ways. Tattling. That's not just for kids. No, no, we're always, quit being a tattletale. Adult members of Fairview, quit being a tattletale. Quit talking behind someone, telling their business. And you do it secretly. That's what a tattletale is. You're tattling, you're gossiping on somebody. And they don't know that you're doing it. You're leaking information. You're letting the cat out of the bag. You're a spiritual snitch. That's what you are when you're tattling. And it's so easy to do. We, we make the, the plans and the actions of others available to whoever will listen. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times that we have to talk about what's going on in a person's life. But, but we're doing this not to help, but to hurt. Uh, we're not interested in all, at all in trying to help We just want to pass on information. You're backbiting. When you take bites out of a person behind their back. The person knows nothing at all about what you're doing. But there you are, biting, devouring, slandering, cutting down that person with the goal of hurting so that the person looks worse in the eyes of others. Backbiting. All of us recently received a live example of this. Members of the L.A. City Council got caught on tape. Backbiting. Same thing they would have never said in the presence of others. And it costs one at least their job. It should cost all of them their jobs. 
the backbiting. And even though nobody might not be recording you, God is. God knows what you're saying. And I don't have to really say anything, do I, about unjust anger? I'm thankful that the covenant put in unjust, but the reality is most of our anger is unjust. Very little of it is righteous anger. And so these are ways that we can be involved in devastating relational sins by backbiting, by tattling, and by being angry sinfully with others. And when God's people are functioning like this and acting like this, the church as a whole and the members individually can't be a light in the world. Nobody will be attractive to that kind of Christianity. After church, there were some families that got together and uh, they went to one of the members' home. When they got there, the kids went outside to play. And the parents were kind of glad that they went outside so that they could interact with each other. And as they were looking at the kids, they noticed that the kids were playing church. One of the kids was a preacher, another kid was a soloist, another was an usher. And they said, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? And then all of a sudden, they kept looking, and the kids were out of control. They were yelling and shouting at each other. And the parents ran out immediately and wanted to know what was going on. And the kids said, we're having a church fight. So they were still playing church. And one of the things they learned is that churches have fights. And so there they were. But, but that shouldn't be our testimony. The, the, the world should not look at Fairview and say, look at Fairview fighting and at each other's throats again. No, that should not be true of us at all. We have to avoid devastating relational sins. A church member can be a light in the world by abstaining from harmful, permissible activities. And I slowed down on that purposely. Harmful, permissible activities. And I want you to hear me, and I want to be hopefully clear on what I'm saying. God's word always tells us to abstain from sin. Did you hear that? There is no time as a Christian when I should not abstain from sin. The Bible is very black and white and says that certain things are sin, and those sins I am to abstain from, I'm not to be engaged in, I'm not to be involved in. We're not talking about that. We're talking about activities that are permissible, activities that are permissible but harmful. You see, there are activities that sometimes the Bible doesn't speak of, or even when it does speak of, it's a gray area. 
You don't know, can I do it or can I not do it? Sometimes the Bible doesn't speak about things that are current in our world. We don't know dogmatically if there's a verse that says you can't smoke weed. There are people on the street who say that you can, particularly if it's for medicinal uses. So, so how do I determine if an activity, a permissible activity, something that the Bible seems to allow, if it is harmful? Well, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, but I believe there are several verses in 1 Corinthians that help us in this area. It helps us to determine whether a permissible activity is permitted, whether it's sinful or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. And this might be something the Corinthians say. All things are lawful or all things are permissible for me. But Paul counters by saying, but not all things are profitable. And then he goes back to what the Corinthians seem to be saying. All things are lawful for me, but Paul said, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so when it comes to these permissible things, these lawful things, whether I can do it or not, the question I need to be asking concerning that particular thing Is it profitable? Is it beneficial? Is it for my good and the good of others? And another question that should be asked based upon this verse, does this particular thing enslave? Does it make me a slave? Is it putting me on a pathway of becoming an indentured servant, a slave? And Paul adds one other guideline. There are really others, but in 1 Corinthians 10.23, he says that the activity must edify. And so when I back away from this, I need to be looking at a permissible activity through the lens of these three E's. Does it enrich? Does it enslave? Does it edify? And that's what I have to deal with in order to determine whether or not I can do it. The church covenant also helps us. It tells us that an activity is harmful if that activity dishonors Christ. So when you're involved in an activity, whatever it might be, you say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do it. The Bible doesn't say I can do it. Ask yourself, does that activity dishonor Christ? If it does, don't do it. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you eat your food, do it to the glory of God. When you drink, do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, It must be done to make God look good and reflect who God is. So does it dishonor Christ? 
But the activity is also harmful if it causes another believer to stumble. Now, you might not stumble. You might say, hey, I have no problems doing this. But does it cause others to stumble? He said, that ain't my problem. That's their problem. Well, Jesus made it the believer's problem. In Mark chapter 9, verse 42, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he'd be cast into the sea. Did you hear that? If you cause another believer to stumble, Jesus said, it'll be better for you to take a 500-pound weight, wrap it around your body, so to speak, and you be thrown into the water. And you know where you're going, right? You ain't going to float. You are going straight down. That's Jesus' attitude on causing another individual to stumble. And Paul took that seriously. That's why he wrote to the Christians in Rome, don't put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And that's why he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8.13, I will never eat meat again that I might not cause my brother to stumble. A harmful, permissible activity is one that causes my brother or sister in Christ to stumble. But the church covenant mentions one other thing, and that is it hinders a person coming to Christ. The activity might be permissible, but you don't do it. Why? Because it thwarts and hinders a person coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. It stops that person from repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Christ. Over 30 years ago, I was given an example of this. I heard a story by my former pastor. And he relayed a true story about an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, lying in his hospital bed, getting ready to die. He was dead in his trespasses and sins but he wanted to talk to a chaplain. So the hospital called a chaplain. He happened to be at dinner with his wife, enjoying a good meal, a couple glasses of wine. Got the call, finished dinner. They immediately came to the hospital. And as he came to the hospital, he went into the room and began talking to this man. And the man couldn't hear too good, so the the chaplain got closer to him, got in his face. And as the chaplain was sharing the gospel, all of a sudden the alcoholic, the alcoholic, the recovering alcoholic said, get out of my face with that alcohol on your breath. The chaplain was engaged in a legal activity but it hindered him in sharing the gospel and hindered this man from coming to Christ. He said, are you being legalistic? 
No, I'm trying to be biblical. And I think our church covenant is trying to help us. That we don't want to ever be involved in a permissible activity that hinders a person from coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of your unsaved friends might not come to Christ because you're involved in a permissible activity. But according to Scripture, it is harmful in your situation. Getting drunk with wine is sin. Drinking wine is not sin. But that's not the only issue. Look at that matter through the lens of the three E's. Does it enrich? Does it enslave? Does it edify? And make sure you follow the guidelines that were listed in the church covenant. Can I do that? To the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will that cause my brother or sister in Christ to stumble? Oh yeah, you might not be stumbling when you drink your wine. But if that person engages in it, it could lead them into a spiral of sin. Will your activity hinder someone from coming to Christ? The last thing that I want you to see is that a church member can be a light in the world by being zealous to advance Christ's kingdom. When God saves us, uh, we used to be in the domain of darkness, but God delivers us out of that domain of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says that God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, that is Christ. Christ the king has a kingdom, and that kingdom will be one day in the future set up on earth. But in the meantime, that kingdom, we are to be advancing here on earth where we live. How can I, as a church member, how can we as a church advance Christ's kingdom? I think the answer is very simple. I think the answer is, be a good deeds Christian. That was a sermon I preached about four or five Sundays ago. Being a good deeds Christian as identified in the book of Titus. Remember Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Paul says that Christ gave himself up for us. For what purpose, Paul? For the purpose that Christ might redeem us and purchase for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds. That's what we are to be involved in. Christ came into this world and died on the cross in your place and my place and paid the penalty for our sins, not just that we might have eternal life, but that we might be the people of Christ, his own possession, people who are zealots for good deeds. You want to advance the kingdom of Christ? 
Be a zealot of good deeds. Be a good deeds Christian. Jesus Christ, he's the light of the world. But we are to be a light of the world. Each and every member of Fairview is to be a light of the world. And if we're going to be a light of the world, then we have to walk circumspectly. That is, cautiously, carefully, alert to this dangerous world in which we live. We have to live righteously so that when it comes to our dealings with each other, we're upright and righteous. When it comes to our engagement, we're faithful in that we are living lives that are an example to others. If we're going to be a light in this world, in this dark world in which we live, then we must avoid devastating relational sins. We can't be biting and devouring one another. We can't be tattling and backbiting and engaging in unrighteous anger. If we're going to be a light in this world, and the world needs us to be light so that they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if we're going to be a light in this world, we must abstain from harmful, permissible activities. For the good of the people around you, make sure that everything you do, you do for the honor of Christ. Make sure that you're not causing your brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. Make sure that you're not hindering a person who's dead and trespasses and sins from coming to Christ. If we're going to be a light in this world, then we must be zealous to advance the kingdom of Christ. And one of the best ways I know, my friends, of doing that, one of the best ways to do that, church members, is to be a good deeds Christian. If you're not fully aware of what, uh, aware of what that means, just go back and listen to the message. We we're called as believers to be engaged and prepare and to display good deeds. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you and just ask that you would be merciful and gracious and kind to each and every one of us and especially to the members of Fairview who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been baptized, who have agreed to be a part of this church and these different commitments. Lord, help us this week to focus in on the commitment to be a light in the world. Help us to realize that our Christianity is not just for ourselves and not just for the members of our church, but it's also for the world. You have said clearly that your son is the light of the world. Help us to be a light that shines in a dark world. Have mercy upon us, Lord. The things that you are asking us to do, we need your spirit 
We need your enablement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.